This is the Evan Hawk Podcast. Hello there, welcome to Evan Hawk, a podcast discussing Star Wars news and Knights of the Old Republic. Today we are joined by Kiefer from Jetstream Inc. of multiple Star Wars fan films, fame, and we will discuss the Shadow of the Mandalorian as well as other KOTOR adjacent topics. Spoiler alert for the Knights of the Old Republic series and Star Wars films and TV shows. This is where the fun begins. Let's get started right away with some of our listener questions. So um, before we do dive into that, uh, Kiefer, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I am an IT guru in general, but in like my free time, I like making films. Um, I started with Trials of the Mandalorian and have sort of gone from using my iPhone to learning to do After Effects and so on. And we ended up with uh, most recently Shadow of the Mandalorian. Um, I'm working on other stuff as well. And I'm just, I just enjoy making stuff and I enjoy Star Wars. I just discovered your channel thanks to Cassius. So I've come prepared. We've been on the on the verge of a thousand subscribers, and we just we're we're halfway, we're almost to nine hundred right now. But every few months, I get like a bump. I'm sure like the the Star Wars films have been really helpful, especially with the kind of Mandalorian tag you have in there with that popularity yeah. coming in. So we got season two arriving. So hopefully another bump here coming soon. Yeah, I've noticed that every time there's a something Mandalorian related, I get like a few more subscribers and uh, views on on those things. The first question comes from Respect Star Wars, and they ask, what do you think the next trilogy will be about? Well, we've got, as far as a trilogy goes, man, that's a that's a, a big question because I think a lot of the, the Disney plans for Star Wars have all been like one-off or like series-related, not so much trilogy-related, but what do you guys think? I don't think they need a trilogy, in my honest opinion. Like, it sets up some weird expectations with the fans, but... Fans have generally liked the one-off stuff more, but if there's anything about it, I'd love Old Republic. I'm all about Old Republic. Yeah, I I would not be opposed to Knights of the Old Republic, the first game being adapted into a trilogy, because I, I think it would fit very well, and it's a great story. But I, I think the next trilogy is actually Taika Waititi's project, and... Kind of what I think it's going to be about is deep space, like, of Star Wars. Like, maybe really before the Skywalker timeline or or far after. But just, like, kind of exploring uh, the deep space and kind of just uh, some of the mysteries there. That's what I think it would be about. It would be a good opportunity to bring in a little bit more lore about the Yusan Vong if we're going into deep space. Or, you know, Thrawn and the Chiss. I, I think that would be yeah. cool. I definitely think they'd have to cover that first. Yeah. I, I'm kind of part of the camp where if if we're going to talk about a Star Wars trilogy, it's it's got to be something planned out because if it's approached as kind of like a one at a time to make a trilogy, we've kind of seen how how that's been handled. And like what really makes or breaks a trilogy is that the whole thing needs to just be planned out all at once and then and then just executed as a trilogy with minimal like minimal adjustments 
I definitely agree with that. And I think that's another one of the reasons that their standalones work so well because they put all their effort into what they're working on at the moment more than the bigger picture type stuff. Yeah, I believe um, that Taika is teaming up with the writer of the film 1917, Christy Wilson Cairns. So I think it would be a good writing duo. I think Disney did or should have learned the lesson that you kind of need to have a plan and have a story you're dying to tell, not just to merchandise things. Yeah, I think it's important for for Disney and, and staff to realize that, like, I think they, they walked away saying that trilogies are out of style after the response of the sequel trilogy, but that's not, you know, that's not really what happened. It was just that they weren't planning a trilogy and it didn't end up as like a, as like a well thought out trilogy because of that. And so I would like them to maybe revisit that another time, but actually like have it all set up beforehand. Yeah. So our next question comes from Polino Medici and they ask KOTOR 1 and 2 can be played in many different styles. What is your usual style of gameplay? Uh, go ahead, Kiefer. KOTOR 1, I think 90% of the times I've played it, I've done light side with dark side, doing dark side stuff midway through. I've only ever played it dark side like twice. And then KOTOR 2, I've only ever done uh, dark side. I don't know why. It's just uh, it's more interesting story-wise when you go dark side. I am kind of a baby, and it's very hard for me to do a whole playthrough dark side. Most of the time I just go, especially just like in Knights of the Old Republic 1, where it's like, you're given very extreme options. It's like, do you want to be a saint and give this person 200 credits? Or do you want to, like, steal their grandmother's their lunch money. and eat it in front of them? And it's like, I can't do that. What? So I always kind of play light-sided uh, KOTOR, but I did do the uh, dark side choice and kind of played that ending just to kind of see what it was like. KOTOR 2... I always gravitate towards the light side, but KOTOR 2 is very interesting to take that path towards the dark side. And I think it's a it's a game with very compelling writing, so it's kind of more, it's kind of not as extreme. It's kind of more nuanced, like light and dark, and Kreia certainly helps with that. Yeah, I think my favorite way to play KOTOR is just one decision at a time. And so, like... With with KOTOR one, I spent a lot of time, like how well which which of the two decisions will benefit me the most, and sometimes there were good decisions and sometimes there were dark side decisions. But I think when I was playing the game, kind of at like my own interest, it was still kind of like a like a chaotic good style of play where most of the decisions were good, but every once in a while I'd make a really negative one. And then with uh, KOTOR 2, it's like a lot of decisions are haven't really been like super obvious on what end they lead towards. But again, just kind of going towards which Apathy. one will like benefit me the most at the time. Apathy is death. So you have to choose. I don't know. That's the interesting thing with KOTOR 2 is like not every choice is fully good, fully bad. There's like pros and cons to everything but you have to make a decision because apathy is death i do like that chaotic good that's a great way to describe it yeah, i play a lot of dungeons and dragons <laughs> all right but that was, those were our two questions from our uh listeners so let's uh 
let's uh, take a quick break and then we'll move on to our next topics. Our next topic, we're going to talk about the uh, the Jetstreak Inc.'s uh, fan film Trial of the Mandalorian. And so, uh, Kiefer, why don't you walk us through this uh, this short film? Much to my kind of regret, there isn't so much of a story as we thought out. Because the, uh, the reason we made that movie was because we bought lightsabers and we made costumes. And we're like, well, let's go to Vasquez Rocks and, and shoot something and we'll figure out the story later. So the premise is that it's a Mandalorian-born Jedi, person born on Mandalore, trained as a Jedi, who then leaves a Jedi. It's it's really complicated, but I've I've since thought it out a little further, and we elaborate on that in Shadow of the Mandalorian. But yeah, we went to Vasquez Rocks, we shot it. I learned, shot it all on my iPhone six, I think, and I learned to use After Effects and Final Cut so I could cut it together. And it was it was just we're just having fun. There wasn't like this any crazy expectation of doing anything else with it it was just a fun time so why did you why did you choose Dantooine as the setting two reasons i've played knights of the old republic i i, I love the idea that there was a jedi temple on Dantooine, but at the end of the game it's destroyed and because of that one-off line from a new hope that oh there's a rebel base on Dantooine, and i was like oh that'll fit in there nicely that works when i started working on shadow of the mandalorian i had the idea like oh man what if the set decoration and set design was reminiscent of something Knights of the Old Republic so that, you know, sure, there's that rebel baseline that's like a one-off line, but there's deeper meaning to the people that care about it. And that didn't pan out the way we wanted it to because uh, it cost a lot of money to build sets and yeah. kind of limited by, by what we are able to make ourselves. You kind of went into this earlier, but Jedi and Mandalorians usually... You don't really see a crossover in most Star Wars stories. Uh, what made you want to create a character that was kind of both? So I'm half white and half Guatemalan. And the, the, the two cultures uh, themselves are, are radically different from my life experience. And I thought that'd be fascinating that a Jedi culture is completely, you know, 360 to a, a Mandalorian's culture they more often more often than not they they butt ends they they they're enemies you know by by birth and so i thought it'd be interesting what would that mean to the person the, the jedi mandalorian what would that mean to him to to his cultural values based on on his essentially religious views what does that do to a person over the long term what what kind of turmoil do they experience what kind of like externally and internally like Sure, you have inner conflict, but then there's the two factions themselves that, you know, it's kind of like the light and the dark side, but I think it's just more interesting than good or bad. Yeah, I saw that nuance in these films, and it's a, it's a good layer, I think, to add, especially these past few years and past few months, I would say. What was something you learned while making your first fan film? Because Coden and I, we, we've definitely been learning on the job like as we make a podcast like what were 
some things you learned uh, with your first fan film? With Trials, we shot it. We would just go once a month to Vasquez Rocks and shoot for a few hours and try and figure out choreography. Um, I definitely learned that it's easier to plan it out ahead of time and sort of have a structure so you're not just wasting time and energy. And I also learned that if you want to learn something, there's no excuse not to learn it. You can, there's, the internet is a, you know, a wellspring of knowledge if, if you just apply yourself to trying to figure it out, whatever you're trying to do. What made you decide to force crush a lightsaber? I've never seen that before. I thought it was really cool. I was thinking more of like crushing the crystal inside so it doesn't work or, or crushing something so it doesn't work, not fully crushing the saber. Yeah. Um, but we, we, my, it was more of my, my buddy that was with us. He's like, oh, I want to use a staff halfway through shooting. And we're like, well, how do we explain that story-wise? Like, what if you just mess up my lightsaber? And that's, that's what we did. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't know how to do it VFX-wise, but we're like, well, what if we just use the force and do it or something? Yeah, it was a cool detail, and it kind of reminds me of an instance in The Last Jedi. You see Luke is wearing a necklace, and on that necklace it looks like it has like a red crystal, red kyber crystal on it. And everyone was like, oh, is that is that Darth Vader's like crystal from his lightsaber, and Luke is keeping it with him? And then lo and behold, it's not... Darth Vader's crystal. It is a relic of like Jedi Crusaders, which is like the faction that Revan kind of started. Like he was kind of starting um, the first Jedi Crusader faction, and like what they would do is like when they would fought Sith or Darksiders, they would kind of destroy the other person's lightsaber and kind of keep a trophy, you know, and. It, it just kind of reminded me of that, like, kind of destroying sabers. I'm going to use that the next time somebody asks me that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we thought this out before The Last Jedi. Yeah, it would be cool. Coden, did you have any questions? I had some questions about the Trials of the Mandalorian, because at first I, th- I kind of, like, walked into it thinking that the Mandalorian character was, like, the Sith, and then the... And then the other guy was the Jedi, but then it was like flipped, you know, the lightsaber is kicked on. So I was like, why, why is the distorted voice, the Jedi and the, and the Mandalorian, the Sith, of course, I mean, the Mandalorian being the Sith was like made a bit more sense, but then, but the lightsaber crystal was blue and I was like, mind blown. (laughs) Walk me through a little bit of that. The the voice distortion, that was another one of their thing where like, he didn't want to use his voice. So we're like, what do we do? record your voice and then we just reverb it and then we add echo to it over the regular voice my buddy's idea was that he wanted it to sound like an authorian trying to speak basic and we're like well how do we make that sound like that and what's the explanation and if you guys have ever seen the 2d clone wars we're like well that guy that ithorian jedi He's his master, and he had to learn to speak Ithorian so he could communicate with him, or, or something like that. Yeah, I was I was really confused by yeah, it, but that makes again, sense. We didn't plan out any of this. We just on the fly. We just tried to figure it out. That was one of the things that I picked up was like between between Shadow of the Mandalorian and Trials of the Mandalorian. Like I think there there was like the Trials of the Mandalorian moved a lot faster, and it seemed to flow like flow pretty good. But Shadow of the Mandalorian seemed to be like, you can definitely notice that it was planned a lot more in advance that time around. And so 
like the the story was a little bit easier to follow on that one. I guess, uh, can you walk us through uh, Shadow of the Mandalorian, like what the story is? So the story is the character from the first one who ends up being the hero, not the Mandalorian. Uh, you know, he's sort of moved on from that and he's helping the Rebel Alliance before it's the Alliance. And, you know, he's, he's, he's haunted by that duel with that Mandalorian. And that Mandalorian, the blow to the head, you know, he has amnesia or, or that was my idea behind it. And, you know, it's sort of discovering, you know, you know, how did he get to this point where we can explain it to the audience and in the film so that it kind of flows again, better than, than trials of the Mandalorian while not totally throwing that away, you know, how do we build upon that and, and further expand that story while doing it here? Uh, so it turns out that, you know, he's captured by the empire They've been doing experiments on him for however long. He's got a scar on his face. Who knows what from. I, I'd like to think it's from the blow to the face, but stuff has happened. Yeah. And I, I just thought, like, oh, it'd be cool. Like, that's the source of, of... That's sort of where they became linked as far as the idea of being, a, like, a force bond, but kind of, like, from KOTOR, but more exploring, uh, you know, what does that mean for for people that... Are, are far apart don't one doesn't know the other one's around he thinks he's dead but why is he still feeling this link to him you know there's a greater there's a greater thing at work while still trying to like again blend in the mandalorian heritage the fact that that this is a key point for this guy that has no memory of who he is he just has these flashes of a battle and armor and mandalorian and the other guy and then at the end with the the, the visions and kind of like him being restored to what he could be. I thought it was very cool that Shadow of the Mandalorian, the runtime was 11 minutes and 38 seconds. That was a that was a nice touch. And coming from Trials of the Mandalorian and then watching Shadow of the Mandalorian, I could tell that there was uh, heightened production values and the story just kind of flowed a bit more. One thing I like in Star Wars and uh, in your fan films is that the Mandalorians are unpredictable. You know, they can be good, they can be bad. I guess, um, what made you want to uh, create a sequel and to continue that story? So I started writing it a few months after because people kept asking me if I was going to make another one. And I was like, well, if I did, it would have to be better. And I would have to use that opportunity to learn anything I needed to learn to, to make it happen. And so I started writing and, you know, I had a, a, a filmmaker friend that kind of would give me tips on story structure, things to change, things to kind of flesh out. And the idea was that I would explain more of how, how we, how we got to that point, just the, 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 the hunger to want to learn more and, and, actually make a actual production you know the the star wars films were being churned out every year and i was like they kept getting better and i want to see more and what else can i learn what else can i do to to bring a story to life i guess that sort of started from there one thing that was unique to shadow of the mandalorian is there was an animated segment like that explains some of the flashbacks. Who created that segment and what made you decide to capture it in animation? Christy 
MacLear illustrated those drawings and then I went and animated them. The idea behind it came from Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows when they tell the story of the Deathly Hallows. It's like an animated form. I thought that'd be a way more interesting way than just them telling it, than them just saying it, illustrating it visually. I, I, I just thought it would be more interesting and what way to bring in people that I wanted to work with and, you know, let's create an opportunity and then I get to work with her and then I get to learn how to animate 2D images into 3D space. Yeah, it, it was a good effect and uh, it's always good to keep learning uh, throughout your whole life, uh, no matter what you're doing. Star Wars The Old Republic, there was these data entries that they had that it was this guy narrating events that had happened in the lead up to the release of the game. Oh, yeah. And that was sort of like the background behind that also. Yeah, I remember those. Um, I haven't really played The Old Republic, but I always would watch the cinematic trailers and I really liked that you kind of got more animation of the story of Knights of the Old Republic and Knights of the Old Republic 2, which for an Instagram page, it's very nice uh, to have additional pictures that you can use for images rather than just always using fan art or 2003 graphics, you know. And then during the fight, uh, the Jedi's um, lightsaber, it flickers between blue and red. What did, what did that symbolize to you? The idea that I had behind the flickering was I had read uh, snippets of the Ahsoka novel and that she had turned a lightsaber from red to white. And they kind, that kind of solidifies the idea that the kyber crystal isn't so much a color as it is a representation of your allegiance to the Force. That, that Jedi achieving balance with the Force beyond being a Jedi or a, or a soldier, achieving balance with himself. And so the idea was for it to start turning white, overcoming the, the, between the blue and the red, the, the reveal was going to be that it ends up being white for the next film, um, if we ever did another one. He's overcome the light and the dark to be in the middle. Yeah. It would be cool to kind of have, like, all the color combinations revealed. Um, and I did like the end where it's just not, like, so many films just end with a fight and just kind of superior physicality where Braun just wins the day. Um, but I like that yours, in your uh, fan film, it's about someone can become better than maybe a problem they're having and be a force for good. What made yeah. you choose that ending? I, I, I think it's just in film, it's more interesting than just good and bad, strong and weak. I think it's more relatable because in the world, you know, we, 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 can be the be we can't really be the best at something because there's always somebody that's better. And all, all there is, is is for us to work on ourselves and help others work on themselves if, if we had that opportunity. And so much of what I want Jet Streaking to be is people collaborating to not just create stuff, but help us help each other grow, help us be better than we were, you know, always learn. And I guess that sort of is represented in the film 
no there's always there's always you can always make a second chance for yourself Coden, uh, what were some of your questions? Um, first off, I was just going to say that it's very reminiscent to the story of Anakin Skywalker. So that was one of the things that I picked out was that how Anakin went through his journey of going from who he was and then kind of slipping away for a while and then coming back at the end to you know, rescue his son and, and uh, kind of fulfill his destiny. So I thought that was kind of neat. Uh, I should have watched this one second. I ended up watching this one first. One thing that impressed me with Shadow of the Mandalorian was in, in a lot of these fan films, you have like the, the costumes are kind of like all over the place. Some are really good and some are like way over the top. And I really liked how simple but very well made these costumes were. Like what what kind of inspired some of the costume designs? I think definitely Knights of the Old Republic. Because <laughs> in that game, I think in the first one, the costumes weren't grandiose because of the limitation of technology, but it served the story really well. It helped you sell the idea that this is 4,000 years, however many years before the films we've seen. And so for us, it was, we needed to be able to move around. We can get something cheap. If we need to replace it, we can get another one. All the other, like the, so the, the leads, we made the costumes, you know, we, we had bits and pieces inspired by our personalities. My sleeves are from my Kylo Ren costume because I'm in the 501st. Oh, and so cool. I just used that. I had it on hand. It was easy to move around. The boots and the pants, same thing. And the tunic was just simple and I was able to move. And I thought if this guy was coming from the Empire, like they wouldn't give him full on Jedi robes. They wouldn't give him anything. They, they'd give him the most basic thing if they were just going to dump him on a planet. You know, they don't care. The idea behind the Novon Ray, the general, uh, was that. He, he was a Jedi. He doesn't need a bunch of stuff to represent himself. He just needs the basic garb. And Kanan Jarrett's was sort of an inspiration there for that. You know, he didn't, later in his life, he didn't have a bunch of armor. He just had shirt, pants, and belt, and his lightsaber. And that's all he needed. Um, the other characters, like Darth Vader, everybody else is part of the Rebel Legion and the 501st and the Mandalorian Merc costume clubs. So they all just wore their, their kits and all that. and you know, came and shot with us. Yeah, that's awesome. It all looks really good. You mentioned Knights of the Old Republic a lot, so maybe one of these days you'll you'll have to make a KOTOR fan film. <laughs> and I would love to. There's so much there that you can somehow work into a, a short form project that under like 10 minutes and, and just explore a specific aspect. So what's this about the uh, the legacy of the Mandalorian? I've decided to, to cap off my little mini trilogy and, and wrap up with um, a third fan film, Legacy of the Mandalorian. It takes place just before Rogue One. Oh, yeah? Uh, may, maybe like a week or two before Rogue One, I guess, the, where, where, where that sort of the main story starts there. Um, I'm trying to implement more elements now that the canon's been filled in a little more with Rebels and the Mandalorians. And, uh, you know, working on, uh, I'm also working on, on Doom, a Kanan Jarrus short, and sort of that, the ideas that I'm learning there and working on there, I'm going to expand a little more in, in, in Legacy of the Mandalorian. Because there's sort of a gap in, after, after Rebels, before Rogue One, of, you know, there, there's, the Rebel Alliance is, is a full military force now. You know, what does that mean? And then after after Rebels ended, 
they they were just starting to build to that. So now we're going to explore, you know, more aspects of this military force. You know, what are they doing? When does everybody get to Yavin? But also, again, legacy of the Mandalorian. Uh, we're going to explore more of the, the balance that my character has to kind of figure out and and what that means to him. And I think a more a more literal way than we showed in Shadow of the Mandalorian, where Shadow of the Mandalorian was more thought-based and nuanced, this will be a little more direct, and, and you'll physically see him struggling between the bo- between the two, and yeah, there's, there's, other, there's a lot of really cool stuff that I'm working on. Um, and again, all of it stems from wanting to learn more. How can I push this further in, in keeping this at like super low budget and, and just pushing myself and everybody that wants to be a part of it further. Since this is a Knights of the Old Republic podcast, there is a batch, a squadron of starfighters that are, I'm calling the Starforge starfighters. They are the Sith starfighters from Knights of the Old Republic that we've, uh, the Rebel Alliance has repurposed for their use in, in their combat. Oh, that sounds really cool. That's a great teaser. I'm pumped to see it you know and i think it sounds like you you keep on learning and it'll be a good uh legacy will be a an excellent and an excellent capstone to kind of showcase everything you've learned yeah i'd like to think so one thing that you know caught my attention is one of my biggest critiques of the last season of star wars the clone wars was that there was no attention to Mon Mothma and the organization of the the Rebel Alliance after they had kind of schemed in Revenge of the Sith to to do so, and uh, so that's that's really awesome that you're going to kind of cover that because that was one of the biggest kind of disappointments I had of having a short Clone Wars season was that we didn't cover any of that in the animated series. I'm definitely fascinated, and one thing I was thinking about was the politics of it in in rewatching Rogue One and Rebels. These people are are fighting for their beliefs just as much as they're fighting for the right thing. And exploring, you know, what is the right thing for my character versus the right thing for the Rebel Alliance is, again, something I I think is interesting. I think I will be exploring. Um, We're five drafts in. I think we have a few more to go before we can tighten, uh, lock that script down and and start, you know, doing more pre-production stuff. But we're, we'll be releasing little teases of concept art that we have so far soon. I'm releasing short little scene tests or you know VFX tests of things you'll see in the film. But I definitely think there's more world building in this, or I guess world exploring in this than than I have in the in the previous two films. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah, looking forward to it. So let's take our final break and we'll return back for our final topic. Welcome back, everybody. So if you were to make a fan film inspired by Nice Old Republic, what would it be? I definitely think uh, the Starforge and Malik and Revan's journey into discovering it. 
we got glimpses of it in the game. But I definitely think it's, you know, they seem like ideal Jedi Knights before they, they, they went down that path. And, and I would make it in a sort of way where you have it line up with the game so that you could watch this in any order you want while they're exploring the star maps, while they're discovering the star maps. So if you went to Tatooine first, you could play in a way where they go to Tatooine first. Or if you went to Manan first, you could explore, you could watch the short. I would make each one their own little short so that you could watch it in whatever order you played the game. That would be really cool. And there's just a whole lot of like untold story there. I kind of don't love that there's an emperor figure that supposedly turns Revan and Malak to the dark side. I think it would be more interesting if it were them fighting a war and just kind of doing whatever it took to win. Be what kind of triggered that fall or like just the Starforge. It just is like a kind of a dark-sided energy and it's just kind of aligned with the dark side. Like I think it that kind of those explanations would be fine for me to explain their fall to the dark side, but it would be cool to see kind of more of Revan and Malik's history explored. I think for me the if I if I were to design a fan a fan film inspired by Kotor and, and if I were to keep it in like the KOTOR universe, I'd probably want to keep it relatively simplistic and in the world of KOTOR, but maybe not use a lot of like characters from the series. I'd probably base it in Terrace because like replicating a, a cityscape would be like doable. And then, uh, and then you could like incorporate the, uh, the Sith troopers and kind of have that be the a good like call-in to Nice Old Republic, as well as just kind of make a really interesting like city life story in Terrace, I think. I don't know, that's kind of where I would kind of baseline it off of and go from there. I like that. I like Terrace. Yeah, like would it be a slice of life or would it be kind of an action fan film, Coden? Maybe a little bit of both. Kind of like uh, maybe if there was like a slice of action, uh, kind of have like the uh, the Mos Eisley Cantina style incident um, between Han and Greedo, but in the setting of Terrace and, you know, a little bit different. So it's just not like a copy paste um, incident, um, kind of like what we see yeah. in KOTOR where uh, you got, oh, the, the bounty hunter and um, one of the guys that he's after for. Kello Nord. Yeah. I guess if you were to do something on Terrace, would you want would you stick in the upper city, lower city, or under city, or kind of work them all in? Uh, maybe a little bit of upper city, um, because that would probably be the easiest, and then, and then kind of push down into the lower city, um, but maybe like keep a little bit more of the indoor of the lower city, so that because again, it'd be hard to unless I lived in Chicago, it'd be kind of hard to kind of make a good scene in kind of a lower city atmosphere. I guess for me, I would have a pie in the sky kind of ideal fan film. For me, I've always just kind of been fascinated with the Jedi Strike team that was sent with Bastila to kind of apprehend Revan and kind of how that 
encounter kind of in- came across like s- some reversals of fortune. It would just be kind of cool to see like that Jedi f- strike team kind of battle their way to kind of where Revan is and then you think one thing is going to happen but then all of a sudden you're like wait what? Malik shot at Revan and then kind of in a plot twist um Bastila heals Revan and like what would that look like and kind of like she decides to heal him the bond forms and she spares him like how did they get off and then you kind of have some impressionistic lips kind of filling in the blanks and then you kind of are like at the beginning of Knights of the Old Republic like for me that would be interesting and probably impossible to capture sounds like Rogue One (laughs) sometimes you can do a lot with like kind of filling in the gaps and I, I just love Knights of the Old Republic I guess that's why you know we do a Knights of the Old Republic centric podcast uh, with some Star Wars news you know but I think even if like in a film that would probably be like the scene the scene I would be most interested in seeing and how cool does Jedi strike team sound it sounds awesome and it's not just any Jedi strike team but like you're in the old republic and I keep on thinking the more I think about it, I'm like, I think you might need to have totally different sound design, kind of different, kind of a different wardrobe, different fighting style, kind of different world building, kind of a lot. Like, it's almost like Star Wars, when George Lucas made Star Wars, he kind of had to create it from nothing. And I'm kind of just amazed that he was able to make it because it's like, how do you explain to film exec at Fox that I need a whole lot of money because I need to make a Jawa. It's like, what is a Jawa? You know, what the crap is a stormtrooper, you know? And like he had it all in his mind and he made it happen and not on a huge budget, you know? But I think it would just be so cool to kind of recreate Star Wars, um, kind of reimagine it, you know, like in a different era and like, It's kind of an opportunity because, like, the technology is kind of stagnant in Star Wars because it's just so advanced it doesn't need to change as much, Uh, which is one thing that doesn't really bother me about the world of Star Wars, but potentially it would be really cool to just kind of have different sounds, different looks and feels to things. Like, what do you think about that? I definitely think that would be fascinating, Uh, even from the standpoint of, you know, how do we recreate the sound without using anything that we already have? You know, maybe even using the same techniques like, you know, sound designer uh, Ben Burt went and recorded these things. What if they went and manually did similar things to what he was doing and got slightly different results? But once they process it, it would sound totally different, but still sound familiar. Like you would know that's a lightsaber. Yeah. You would know that's a blaster, but it sounds different. It's not what you expect it to be. Kind of like a, a it barely works type of design. Uh, something that comes to mind is the Mandalorian ship that he uses. Is like it's it's definitely a Star Wars yeah. ship, but it doesn't doesn't quite have the finesse as 
some like you know the millennium falcon for example doesn't it doesn't have like the in every aspect yeah. of it too and um it, it like you got flames coming out the the engines and like it's you can really tell that it's just this metal barrier between the mandalorian and and the vacuum of space like that's that's kind of like the design i'd expect out of the night Souls republic setting is just blasters lightsabers and spaceships that barely keep people you know from their from their doom when they're out in space you know for example yeah i mean it's a hard line to potentially get right where it's like it needs to seem like star wars but how much can you kind of play with it you know and that's one thing I liked about the prequel and the original trilogies, because with the original trilogy, it's kind of like you had a used, rundown universe where there's not as much focus on innovation. It's kind of just a kind of a factory mindset, like how many, how many of these can we make for cheap? But with the prequel universe, it's kind of more of an artist, like trying to make something as beautiful as possible, kind of where they're innovating more, kind of like using more creativity in the design. And it kind of showcases like visually like the fall of the Republic into an empire. So maybe it would be interesting to see like what would either option look like with Knights of the Old Republic? Like what should they go with? I'm all tied up with Naboo being the BMW of space. I don't know enough about cars to know if that's a good or bad thing. Just shiny and new filling. Okay. But I think that Padme's ships, uh, nothing can top them, you know? Right. All right. Well, before we wrap up, where can people find you, Kiefer? Um, on YouTube, we are Jetstreak underscore Inc. with a K. On Instagram, Jetstreak underscore Inc. also. And on Facebook, we have our page. It is also Jetstreak underscore Inc. I try to post updates about the stuff I'm working on weekly, if not every few days. Anything from like prop making to, you know, the fan film stuff to anything I'll get. My cute son, you know, Anakin. Uh, there's lots of stuff that I post about and I try to keep it as engaging as possible. Thanks everyone for listening to the Evan Hawk podcast. Cassie, why don't you get started on some of our tags? Okay, so you can find us on Instagram at Ebonhawk Podcast. I'm always posting there. And if you check out the link in the bio, that is probably the easiest way to keep track of our podcast. The Ebonhawk can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, as well as everywhere else that Anchor Podcasts are distributed. And subscriptions, reviews, and shares help us out. And if you... Give us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'll share it on our we'll share it on our show. And if you ask your friends or family, that makes it so I don't have to ask my friends and family to do that. So we always appreciate it. And our email is ebonhawkpodcast at gmail.com and you are welcome to email us your questions and business inquiries. And if you want to talk to me, um, the best way to do that is probably from that uh, ebonhawkpodcast at gmail.com. But you can also find me on twitch.tv forward slash code and bond if you want to talk to me kind of in a more live setting. To do that, 
typically just follow my Twitter and Instagram, just if you search Code and Bond. And uh, our intro and outro themes were composed by Alistair Shorman, and he could be found at alistairsounds.wixsite.com forward slash alistairsounds. Our transition music was composed by Christian Walker, and he could be found at christianwalkermusic.com. This has been the Ebonhawk Podcast. May the force be with you. We'll be back soon. Bye for now.